Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up the week. Having a holiday in the middle of the week has got me all mixed up here. It doesn't seem like it's a weekend already, but here we are, and glad that you are with us and coming up on today's program. We'll continue Outlook. We had beef and pork outlook yesterday. We're going to look at the dairy market today. Peter Vitaliano with the National Milk Producers Federation will give us some dairy outlook for 2020, some more positive notes uh, towards the end of 2019 for the dairy industry. Hopefully those will continue in 2020. We'll talk with Peter about that. Uh, Climate change is, of course, a huge debate, and Terry Fleck with the Center for Food Integrity will join us. They've done some some research on this. What are people saying, thinking, how do they feel about climate change? What can we expect maybe in the next few years uh, as far as action on climate change? How can that impact agriculture? We'll be talking about that. What about... uh, as some want to do, some want to blame agriculture or point to agriculture as a cause for uh, a lot of greenhouse gas emissions and other problems. And uh, we'll talk with Terry about what people are saying about that and how does agriculture address that issue. Also coming up today, we'll talk with the CEO of the National Potato Council, Cam Quarles. Uh, the National Potato Council is one of several groups, several ag groups pushing for that ag labor reform bill that is going to the Senate, and uh, we'll see what its chances are of passing there. Uh, many in agriculture pushing hard for it. Uh, we'll talk about that with Cam Quarles a little bit later on in the program. But we're going to start things off, our first visit of the new year, with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Hope you had a good holiday season. Uh, I have had a good holiday season. I've been in California spending Christmas in Southern California with relatives, and now I've been in San Francisco for New Year's with uh, with friends. So Happy New Year, Mike. Happy New Year. Well, uh, when you get back to Washington, of course, uh, Congress uh, getting back in session, uh, there was a flurry of activity in Congress right before the uh, uh, Christmas break. Now we look at what's left over to do and wondering how much will they get done in an election year. What do you think? Well, I think they got an an incredible amount done uh, uh, just before uh, Congress left town, Uh, the most important being the appropriations bill uh, for agriculture and for other agencies, and then uh, the House passing the uh, U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement on Trade. Uh, those were uh, incredible accomplishments. Uh, so now that we're in an election year, uh, I, uh, I do think the Senate will approve USMCA. The question is when, uh, and that depends on the timing of the impeachment trial of, of President Trump. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure how much else they will get done, because uh, uh, the schedule shows that they're going to take an awful lot of time off for campaigning. Yeah, I would. I doubt that too much will get done or t- anything too major, but we'll see. Uh, USMCA was interesting. We've been told, Senator Grassley and others have told us, they would vote on that in the Senate after the impeachment trial. 
but uh, with the, now the uh, the impeachment uh, process on hold, waiting to see what uh, Speaker Pelosi is going to do when she's going to send the articles over to the Senate, uh, I guess that puts the uh, USMCA vote on hold unless they move it up. It'll be interesting to see what they do there. Uh, well, it would seem to me that if the if the impeachment trial is a, is held up, I can't see any reason why they wouldn't vote on USMCA faster. Now, Senator Grassley, who chairs the Senate Finance Committee, has scheduled a uh, meeting about USMCA on January 7th, the first full day that the Senate is back. So he's positioning his committee to be ready to act on the bill uh, and then send it to the, uh, send it to the Senate floor. Uh, but, of course, we don't know exactly uh, what the situation will be there uh, on uh, uh, on January 7th. Uh, but, you know, it's only a few days from now, so we should know pretty soon. Uh, I mentioned that later in the program we're going to talk about the Ag Labor Reform Bill that will be uh, before the Senate as well. It, it's going to be interesting. Uh, there, There's support for it, but there's all, there are also those that are critical of it, even the Farm Bureau not liking some aspects of it. So it uh, will be interesting to see. Get any thoughts? Are you hearing anything on how the Senate may uh, uh, come down on this? You know, I haven't heard anything about the Senate bringing it up. Uh, uh, I realize that the Farm Bureau is opposed to it uh, uh, because they think it doesn't cover uh, everything and that it, and that it, would, it could lead to w- uh, wages that are higher than the farmers want to pay. Uh, but I think the, bi- the bigger issue uh, is that there have been reports that the White House is opposed to it. And, uh, you know, it would ease bringing uh, uh, foreign workers into the country, and I would doubt that President uh, Trump would want to support that uh, in an election year, since he has been so tough on immigration issues. It'll also be interesting to see what they do with market facilitation program payments. If indeed we get this deal done with China, uh, will any MFP payments uh, come out this year? It's an election year. It makes you think that could happen, but and we don't know the timing of the China deal, how quickly that could kick in. So uh, some questions there. Well, yes, I think that it depends on how quickly China actually buys from the United States. If they increase uh, uh, purchases massively, uh, then I think it would be very difficult for President Trump to justify those payments. But if this whole thing kind of drags out, it goes kind of slowly, uh, then I would expect to see another round of payments, uh, uh, particularly to keep farm incomes up in the, in the farm states that President Trump finds so vital to his uh, political success. Really, everything this year, even more than usual, will be through the political lens of a presidential election, won't it? Oh, it certainly will. And not just presidential, but also the House and the Senate, uh, with the, with the uh, Democrats uh, trying to retain control of the House and trying to win control of the Senate. The political analysts that I talked to say it would be very difficult for the Republicans to retake the House. Uh, but that for the Senate, uh, it's, you know, the majority is in play between the Republicans and the, and the Democrats. It probably depends on what happens in the presidential year and how, pro- how popular President Trump is in some states. 
All right, Jerry. Well, enjoy the rest of your time there in California, and uh, well, we'll we'll probably see you soon at some uh, winter meetings, and uh, we'll always, of course, uh, look forward to checking in with you here on uh, AOA to talk about some of the issues of the day. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Indeed, I will be at a lot of winter meetings, and of course, uh, covering Congress the, uh, be, at the be, starting at the beginning of next week. Okay, we'll be checking back in. Thank you very much, Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Okay, so again, later on, we're going to talk climate change with uh, Terry Fleck from the Center for Food Integrity, and we're going to talk later with the CEO of the National Potato Council, talk about that ag labor reform bill and uh, the chances of it uh, being voted on anytime soon in the Senate and the chances of it passing or not. But up next, we continue our outlook for 2020. We're going to focus on the dairy industry. Peter Vitaliano, Vice President, Economic Policy and Market Research for the National Milk Producers Federation will join us next for some dairy outlook stay with us you're listening to aoa The patented pod shatter reduction technology canola hybrids from Invegor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. Contact your local BASF seed advisor today. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, the country of origin labeling issue is uh, a controversial one. Strong views and emotional opinions on both sides of this. There's a lot here to uh, sort through. And we're going to do that now with Ethan Lane, who is Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. What we're starting to look at and zero in on is whether or not that broad description product of the USA is really too ambiguous to be used. I mean, it's important to, to make clear here, we don't think anybody is doing anything wrong. We, we don't think that, that anyone is outside of the boundaries of what's compliant right now with FSIS's guidelines. What we're talking about and, and working through with everyone in this value chain is whether or not we're just at a point where we need to get out of the business of putting a broad label like that that's fairly ambiguous in place in favor of either no origin marketing claim or a more specific marketing claim. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. As one year comes to a close and the promise of a new year begins, we at Adams on Agriculture would like to take this time to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a safe, happy, and prosperous new year. As we look forward to 2020 with a renewed optimism, we hope for the very best for American farm families and those involved in the ag industry as we continue to feed the world. So from the Adams on Agriculture family to yours, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. 
Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manual manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, when we look at uh, the dairy market, uh, we saw... A, a little uptick in in prices at the uh, end of 2019. Will that continue and and uh, shape up for a stronger 2020? Let's talk about it with Peter Vitaliano, Vice President, Economic Policy and Market Research for the National Milk Producers Federation. Peter, Happy New Year! Thanks for joining us. Um, it was an interesting year in 2019 for dairy prices, uh, struggling for much of the year, but we did see some signs of uh, uh, of light more as the year went along. Yes, good morning, Mike. Uh, 2019 actually wasn't too bad because we saw a pretty steady improvement in some of the key key price uh, drivers for producer milk prices in 2019, but. There are signs that uh, the the end of last year might represent a bit of a peak uh, going forward. Although uh, we're not looking for two thousand for twenty twenty to be too bad a year. Uh, but let me just give you a couple numbers. Um, you look at the cheese cheese prices, non-fat dry milk prices, and butter prices. Pretty much uh, give you a, a good idea of what where milk prices have been and where they're going to be going and looming behind all of them is what's happening to US milk production. So for example, uh you know, basically we hit a high of the uh, this is I'm looking at the monthly cheese prices that uh go into the federal order formulas uh, back in November we hit uh, $2.17. We had hit Cheese had been as low as 137 back in 2000, a certain time during 2018. Um, however, um, cheese is very sensitive to the milk production outlook. Um, one of the things that uh, that kept cheese up and uh, moving up throughout 2019 was the fact that milk production was pretty static. But we saw it, uh, September and October production started jumping up above above. Uh, one um, percent a year, and uh, kind of spooked the markets. So we're looking; uh, the futures are looking at cheese to kind of drop back down to about one eighty and stay there pretty much throughout uh, ne- next year. That's going to take a bit of a toll on the milk price. 
Hmm. So yeah, that that that'll be a challenge going into 2020. Uh, I was kind of hoping you'd say there was momentum from 2019 that was going to carry into this new year, but it sounds like uh, you're going to have some headwinds there. That's what the markets are indicating. Now it's it's not looking like we're going to go back to um, uh, to where we were. Uh, for example, 2018 was not a good year. The average milk price there was not too much over sixteen dollars, uh, sixteen thirty exact uh, to be exact. Uh, that price hit $21 a hundredweight in November. It's looking right now from the markets uh, to ease back about a dollar and a half to average about 19.50 for uh, for the for the year. Um, the good news also is that feed prices are going to stay pretty low. Just to pull a couple <clears throat> numbers out quickly, the all milk the the milk price is supposed to stay above. Uh, about above at least nineteen dollars uh, all year this coming year, and feed costs uh, by the uh, the feed cost calculation for the dairy margin coverage program supposed to stay below nine dollars, and that means the margin's going to stay above ten dollars, and that's that's higher than average. So uh, that's what the futures are indicating right now. However, that would indicate that um, that margins will be pretty good, and the key wild card again is what's milk production going to be doing. Uh, you'd think that after five years of uh, depressed uh, milk prices, we'd uh, we'd see some struggling in milk production, and indeed, for a good part of 2019, production was flat. That's what gave us the recovery, but. Um, all the indications are now that there's plenty of milk in the country, and there's a lot of operations that seem to be able to uh, to produce milk at the kind of prices we saw in 2019. And so, again, that's the thing to keep an eye out for this coming year. We're talking with Peter Vitaliano with the National Milk Producers Federation. Now, on the on the trade front, uh, looks like we're about to get USMCA passed. We know there's some uh, key areas there for hopefully improvements for for dairy, and then if we get a deal done with China, could those two uh, trade deals help improve the uh, the situation, the picture for dairy in 2020 and beyond? That will help, Mike. Uh, the USMCA, uh, we're very optimistic that'll get passed, and that'll kind of restore our our situation with Mexico, and uh, maybe open up a little bit in Canada. The key thing to think about in dairy in terms of trade is most of our dairy exports are in uh, <clears throat> the form of what I call dry skim ingredients, that's skim milk powder, nonfat dry milk, or the whey products, lactose and the like. We don't export very much of our butter, and uh, we're still in the single digits in terms of the amount of our domestic cheese production we export. So again, given that the cheese price is kind of the wild card, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how how the um, basically these new trade agreements are going to going to affect uh, uh, U.S. dairy exports, particularly in, in cheese, which tends to be driven very heavily by the domestic uh, domestic milk production and uh, and domestic demand. Uh, the China deal is also going to open up um, uh, basically increased trade in uh, in feed grain uh, products, and that's. That might have a little bit of an impact on the cost side for dairy farmers as well. What are we seeing with uh, fluid milk sales? Have have they gone up at all? 
fluid milk sales have been pretty much in a long-term declining situation, um, down about between 1% and 2% per year. The composition of that switched. Uh, not too many years ago, we saw the biggest drops in whole milk, and the lower-fat varieties were, uh, were not dropping as much. That switched, as you know, several years ago, the sort of nutritional advice on consuming dietary fats really changed around, and consumers reacted to it very quickly. The idea that uh, consuming uh, dietary fats and animal fats in, in the diet was not the kind of uh, uh, thing that uh, people were, that nutritionists had been warning against for the last four decades, and consumers came back to uh, consuming dairy pro- dairy. Uh, uh, higher fat dairy products, uh, not just butter, but um, but basically uh, whole milk started increasing at one point uh, a couple of years ago, and it's it's still kind of holding up there, and it had been the one that had dropped heavily uh, previously. Uh, it was the lower fat varieties where a lot of the losses coming uh, in recent years. In fact, by my calculations, uh, whole milk had, rec- had for a while had been recovering so fast that the that although the total volume of fluid milk had been declining, the volume of milk fat that was consumed in all fluid milk products was actually growing for a while. And we're seeing that in the higher-fat cheeses and the like. And that's that kept butter prices up for over the last five years. That was the only bright spot, uh, you know, since 2014. Um, and uh, butter has been weakening a little bit, but it's uh, you know easing back to about two dollars. But it's it's forecast to recover, not quite as high as it had been, but into the you know the mid uh, two thousand uh, two dollar and and ten two dollar twenty cent range. That will help. So for twenty twenty, as we'll watch, of course, uh, demand and and trade exports things like that. Uh, you're pointing to those uh, production levels as being the key uh, for 2020 as far as uh, how profitable year it's going to be. Yeah, what we're seeing is that basically milk production has been uh, is going to be settling out at a certain level that uh, that's that, that is going to be sustained by a milk price that's probably well under twenty dollars a hundredweight. And you're just seeing a lot of operations that uh, and we're hearing anecdotally. The big, big uh, problems we had in the last several years is that smaller operations really, really took it on the chin. And we've lost um, uh, smaller operations in 2018 at a faster rate than normal. And uh, the numbers are going to come out for 2019 in a couple months, and we'll see if that continues. But basically, the country seems to be able to uh, to have enough milk production at uh, at the kind of prices that I would say you know 2019 and 2020 will represent. And again, All right, that's, Peter. That's the thing to keep an eye on. And we'll be watching. Thank you very much, Peter. Appreciate the outlook. Good talk with you, Mike. As always, happy All new right, year. Take care. Happy new year to you. Bye bye, Peter. Peter Vitaliano, he's Vice President, Economic Policy and Market Research for the National Milk Producers Federation. All right, the ongoing debate over climate change and are consumers linking the consumption of animal protein to climate change? We hear some make that case, but how widely accepted or uh, how much are people 
really buying into that and what does agriculture need to do to respond to that? We're going to talk about those issues with Terry Fleck with the Center for Food Integrity. That's coming up next. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed. And they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications, and it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA-restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. This is Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Raw with a market check here on this Friday's trading session. Soybean exports this week totaled only 330,300 metric tons for 2019-2020, a marketing year low, says the USDA. This is down 66% from the prior four-week average and below the low end of predictions made by traders who spoke to the Wall Street Journal this week. An hour into the trading session, soybeans are leading the board lower with the March contract down 17 and a half cent at 938 and three quarters. March corn trading three and three quarters lower at 388. March Minneapolis spring wheat down nine and a fraction at 549. Kansas City wheat March down nine and a half cent at 475 and three quarters of a cent. March Chicago wheat down five and a half cent at 554 and three quarters of a cent. Firm pressure has developed in all livestock future trade Friday morning. Active losses in lean hog futures was sparked by significant cancellations of 2019 export commitments to China. This is not news that traders were looking for with the expected signatures to a partial trade deal agreement likely in the next couple of weeks. Cattle pressure is redeveloping following the weaker trend that started on Thursday. April live cattle trading 77 cents lower at 125.70. March feeder cattle down $1.22 at 142.50. February lean hogs down $3 at 68.55. In the outside markets, the Dow is 223 points lower. The NASDAQ composite down 71. The S&P 500 down 22. Crude oil is up $2.25 at 63.44 per barrel. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. 
But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today. 800-745-3327. 800-745-3327. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, as the debate continues over climate change, what will the impact be on agriculture? Let's talk about it with Terry Fleck, Executive Director for the Center for Food Integrity. Terry, thank you for joining us. Uh, What is your research showing about the, the discussion, the conversation that's going on right now about climate change and how uh, agriculture is viewed in this debate. Well, thanks, Mike, for uh, for asking and having me on. This is uh, just one of those conversations that uh, members of the center were curious about where the conversation was around climate change, particularly as we came to a close of uh, 2019. And uh, so just by way of quick background, we use a research tool called digital ethnography where it allows us to uh, explore a lot of different topics and trends in real time, looking at millions of consumer interactions online uh, that help us understand a little bit about uh, their motivations, who they are, how mature the trend is. So what we were curious about was what is being discussed at the current time, and in particular we had a little more refined objective to to try to boil down to what is the conversation around causes and solutions. Uh, In particular, are consumers linking climate change to the production and consumption of animal proteins like beef and poultry, and whether or not consumers are really associating a local food movement to an improvement or a solution to climate change. Uh, What was probably not surprising to us, uh, particularly given the attention to sustainability issues, is most of the conversations throughout the, the past year now were really mired in this whole debate on whether climate change exists. So when we, when we were looking at the climate change term, we really saw two basic camps, those that were ardent believers in climate change and those that were calling those ardent believers alarmists and uh, not being attentive to uh, to the longer-term view. Um, a little surprising, probably about one in four of, uh, of adult Americans were involved somewhat in that debate online, just over 52 million uh, consumers. What was interesting, though, to, uh, to us was the predicted shift in the conversation that's likely to take place over the next 12 to 24 months. And in particular, we see two different camps uh, emerging fairly strongly. Uh, one camp that wants to discuss the causes of 
climate change, uh, and another camp uh, wanting to talk about solutions. So we're, we're seeing growth in both of those arenas um, uh, to, to probably well over 80 million Americans uh, being involved in either this, of these conversations uh, one way or the other as we move into 2020. Well, we've seen uh, uh, a little. We've seen we've seen a couple of things, Terry. Recently, uh, uh, a Hollywood uh, uh, awards show announcing they weren't going to serve meat because of their concerns over greenhouse gas emissions and and climate change, and of course the ongoing push for some of these imitation meat products in the marketplace and and uh, there seems to be a uh, a thinking for some of the people supporting that that they're they're helping to save the planet somehow by by uh, by uh, consuming those products uh, is this a sign of things to come you think is this uh, debate uh, ratchets up uh, in the next few months I, I do Mike I think it is uh, the sign of things to come you're, you're quite right we're seeing people uh, involved in the conversation that want to bring about change so they're they're taking personal action they want to they want to be informed they want to tell others they want to protect resources the other thing, though, that we are seeing is that they are looking to science and innovation to help provide some solutions. Uh, so when we talk about or when we look at the, the, uh, the conversation around causes, it is associated uh, with carbon-related topics, CO2 emissions, uh, things of this nature, burning fossil fuels, greenhouse gases. Uh, and those that are looking for solutions are, again, looking at how do we reduce emissions, how do we reduce greenhouse gases, um, and, and there is uh, some of that conversation, particularly around, uh, around improving uh, some of these uh, areas, uh, really talking around uh, what do we change, and some of that is around conversations on cattle farming, reducing meat consumption, industrialization, overfishing, those are all very prominent topics today. We're talking with Terry Fleck, Executive Director for the Center for Food Integrity. Terry, I wonder, though, is this discussion, how will it be driven, by emotion or by fact? And we've seen before emotion and and fear uh, drive the GMO uh, debate in this country. And now I wonder if that takes place in this one as well, because you can. we've seen numbers and statistics showing that uh, the, the percentages of greenhouse gas emissions by agriculture are very small in, in the total picture, but yet it seems like a lot of people want to focus on that and ignore some of the bigger contributors. Uh, so will facts win this argument, or is this going to be a, an emotional argument and debate? No, I think facts will eventually win the day, Mike. That's not to say that emotions won't begin the conversation, but when we look at the profile of those that are involved in the conversation. Uh, just a couple points on this one. It, it tends to be slightly more female than male. You're going to find that well over 60, 65% of those conversing about this are going to be younger, 18 to 44 years of age, middle class, uh, most likely single or married without children are the ones that are talking the most about this. One of the interesting aspects of that audience means that these are, are information-seeking consumers. So they crave credible information from sources they can trust, which then gives us the opportunity to engage the conversation. And that's really, I think, where the opportunity is for 
uh, for food and agriculture is now's a great time to initiate the conversations about the kinds of things that we are doing, providing balanced information, providing third-party studies that give them a forum to engage, as you say, around the facts, and then suggest ways that they can make a difference. So you think there is a sizable portion of the country, of the population, that is open-minded on this and actually seeking good, accurate information uh, and haven't already made up their minds on it? Correct, correct. Yeah, that's why we're seeing such great growth in in our predictive tool uh, around those who want to discuss causes and solutions. Of course, uh, part of the solution is focusing in on what are the true causes, and, and this is where third-party credible information will be most helpful around that, and then uh, attend, you know, uh, uh, directing conversations toward let's talk about solutions, about what can be done to help this out, what can be done for you to, to, uh, uh, to do your part in, uh, in, in being part of that change. So, um, again, this is where, particularly in food and ag, where we talk about where we're reducing the carbon footprint, where we're attentive uh, uh, and knowledgeable about greenhouse gases, uh, uh, you know, calling attention to our own house, making sure our own house is in order, not necessarily pointing the finger at a bunch of other people, but helping people move, as you say, from the emotion to the facts uh, in the conversation. Because I think the concern for agriculture is that uh, agriculture won't get credit for reducing its carbon footprint and the strides that have been have been taken and, and the improvements that have been made. And instead, we're going to get a lot of heavy-handed regulation coming down from uh, the federal government, uh, you know, uh, on agriculture uh, that's that's not really warranted. I think that's the concern many have. Yeah, and that's where we're also seeing uh, many of the commodities and ag groups starting conversation with Congress around climate smart practices, uh, issues of soil conservation, soil health, alternative crops, and uh, doing their part to encourage and continue to encourage the change. Um, but you're right, it, those, uh, those of us that have been involved with the change for several years need to do our part to continue to let people know that this is continuous improvement. We have made great strides and great changes, and uh, certainly looking forward to science and innovation helping us do even more. We're so driven by social media, and sometimes social media can be misleading as far as people's, uh, the majority of people's thoughts or feelings. So uh, is there a concern that uh, a minority of voices could sound bigger than they are in driving, uh, you know, regulation or, or changes on agriculture? Yeah, that's always the concern. And again, as, as we looked at, uh, at this research piece, looked at who's involved in the conversation now, Fifty, little over 52 million consumers, where that's going to be over the next 12 to 24 months, which is just over 88 million. You know, again, this, these are online conversations, so a lot more people getting involved in that topic, which is why you know, we have to be in the in the social channels uh, on a regular basis, uh, being active in those conversations, being visible in those conversations. So, uh, again, it's just motivation on our part to uh, to be there, to be talking about our story, and again, to be focusing primarily on that that younger audience, 
uh, talking about how science and innovation uh, are really uh, fostering change and development for the future. Yeah, and very important to be involved in those discussions and conversations because they are going to be taking place, that's for sure, on this topic of climate change. Very interesting uh, research and findings, Terry, and uh, some thoughts as we move forward on this. Thank you very much for being with us. You're welcome, Mike. Thanks. Take care. Terry Fleck, Executive Director for the Center for Food Integrity. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell. Everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Time is money, right? And money? Well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. Cenex Premium Diesel protects both. With a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, Cenex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now, don't spend all that free time in one place unless it's the highway. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. If your soil could talk, what would it say? If it's healthy, it may already be saying some good things about your future. Because farmers who use soil health building systems that include no-till, cover crops, and diverse species and rotations report greater productivity, profitability, and resiliency to weather extremes. Learn more about what your soil is saying about its health and your future. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us now is Jake Parker, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council. Big news, of course, is it looks like we're very close to that phase one trade deal with China. Jake, thank you for joining us. What's in this package? So what's in the package now is we have some commitments on intellectual property, technology transfer, the part that's very important to your listeners, agriculture, which I think was one of the big winners in the agreement, financial services liberalization on China's side. There's going to be some focus on currency uh, manipulation and ensuring that there's stability there going forward. Then there's a big component on expanding trade. This is the purchases piece that we've heard about. Uh, the U.S. has announced $200 billion in purchases over the 2017 numbers over a two-year period. So a big part of that would have to be agricultural products. We haven't seen the Chinese uh, echo that sentiment, so we're, we're hopeful for additional details in the weeks uh, ahead. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So the ag labor reform bill that many ag groups are are supporting did pass the house last year but now it goes to the senate and with the new year comes increased importance on this legislation due to some increases in in wages uh legislated uh increases in wages let's talk about that now with cam quarrel ceo of the national potato council cam thank you for joining us uh really this is an important issue already, but it's becoming even a, a greater issue for agriculture, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is, Mike. Happy New Year. I'm glad glad to be here. The uh, the the AWER uh, the, under the the agricultural guest worker um, program, there is a wage rate that's established. It's a minimum wage across the United States. It uh, is specific to each individual state. 
and the federal government sets these wages uh, uh, every year. They've been rising at extremely high rates over the past several years, and it's really brought home exactly what you said is how acute uh, the, the, the ag labor crisis is and that we've got to get some type of reform. We've got to get a new program established that farmers can rely upon. Now, this, uh, this increase is for those using the H-2A program. Is that right? That's right. That's right. It's called the adverse effect wage rate. Essentially, what happens is under the program, you're bringing in foreign workers, guest workers, and you don't want those guest workers to displace American workers who otherwise want to do those, do those jobs. In theory, it's a good idea. The challenge is for agriculture, there just aren't American workers who want to be out there um, harvesting fruits and vegetables in, uh, in Florida at 3 o'clock in the morning in the summertime, um, go across all of the, all of the, har- the, the uh, difficult type of labor conditions. Um, Americans just, in general, aren't there to do these jobs, so it's, it's the foreign supply of labor that's going to do them. Um, and it, it, it forces farmers into this guest worker program. They've got to, they, they have to pay this elevated wage, um, but there's no predictability about it. The federal government sets it every single year, and you just flat out can't plan from one year to the next. You have no idea where, where it's going to go. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of examples. In Colorado, in December of 2018, you would be paying 33% less than you are today. Their wages have, have risen under the H-2A program 33% in 11 months. Um, in Montana, Idaho, 17%. Uh, Oregon, Washington State, 12% over that same period of time. Those type of explosive increases, how, how do you make any plans about what you want to do in the future? And it really... It, what it does, unfortunately, is encourage people not to produce in the United States, but to move offshore, uh, move to move to Mexico, uh, move to to uh, uh, further south in Latin America, and that's just th- those aren't the policies that we want to be encouraging here in the United States. We want to make the United States an attractive place for everything, particularly agriculture. How does this bill, which passed the House and now goes to the Senate, how would it help address this issue? Yeah, so the, the House bill, what it does is it freezes um, the, the, this mandatory wage under the H-2A program for one year. And then what it does is it caps its rate of growth. So it can only rise slightly more than 3% every year at the maximum. And it also can, it, it creates a, a floor underneath the program. It can only drop so much every year. Uh, 1%, roughly. The, the, the actual uh, movement of the wage will be dependent on data that the Department of Agriculture receives. But at least farmers can know, my wages are not going to see these explosive double-digit increases year after year after year. And it gives them some ability to predict uh, what, what their budgets are going to look like, what their capital investment can be. Um, they've got some certainty over one of the most fundamental things that a fruit and vegetable producer is going to worry about is 
is where, where's my labor coming from? We're talking with Cam Quarles, CEO of the National Potato Council. So, Cam, um, as it goes, as this legislation goes to the Senate, um, what are you seeing there? We've heard some opposition to it. Uh, is it, uh, you know, is it even on the schedule yet for a vote, or where does it stand right now? Well, you know, Mike, the the way we look at it is um, the the it, it's very simple, Re- regardless of. What type of bill you're talking about? Any policy issue in D.C., the House has got to do something. The Senate's got to do something. They both have to come to agreement in a conference committee, and then the president's got to sign it. So we got the first step in that taken care of. The House, on a bipartisan vote, uh, approved this bill. The Senate, it's now in their court to act. Uh, we think that there are improvements that can be made on the House bill that uh, may further define um, this this uh, mandatory minimum wage. Uh, it may address a number of other issues that the House wasn't able to deal with. We want to take the best of both bills. We want to make sure something goes across the Senate floor. And then, much like how we deal with the Farm Bill every, every five years, you ultimately, uh, that conference agreement, you develop a, a program that provides certainty to farmers and in this case, it's not just for five years. This will be something we'll be dealing with for 20 or 30 years. So we're, we're, uh, we've heard from Republican and Democratic voices in the Senate that they want to take a hard look at this. We recognize the naysayers are going to say, you got a presidential election year. This is too heavy of a lift. We don't, we don't believe that. The, the crisis that that ag labor presents to American agriculture and ultimately all of the consumers that it depends on, um, that, that depend on American agriculture, it, it demands action. And we, we, we think there are folks who can, who can get this done. Clearly, the, clearly okay. the House was ready to act, and we think the Senate can. All right, we'll be watching. That'll be a key issue here in 2020. Thanks, Cam. Mike, good to talk to you. Cam Quarles with the National Potato Council. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.